So reach for me like the petals of a rose Blooming is easy, gentle and slow I place the plant in the ocean, the river The sand and the soil The life giver to come on now My friends, speak to me Help me understand Let us walk together Take my hand and we will heal this land Reach for me like the petals of a rose, blooming and seasoned, gentle and so. My body is the mountain, the ocean, the river, the sand and the soil, the life giver. So come on now, my friends, speak to me, help me understand. Let us work together. Take my hand and we will heal this land. And we will heal. Thank you very much. I hope everybody knows this song. It's just a little different take on it. No hell below us 
Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. I wonder if you can There's no need for greed or hunger A brotherhood and sisterhood But I'm not the only one, not the only one. I hope someday you will join us.
I invite you to rise in body or spirit and join <laughs> us on the final song of the gathering music. We're going to bring the, the ministers down for the call to worship in a few moments. This is Hush, Somebody's Calling My Name. If you want to look at the book, it's number 1040, but you may not need the book for very long. Shall I? Somebody's calling my name. Hush. Hush. Somebody's calling my name. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. What shall I do? Yeah. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. What shall I do? 
a wonder and a mystery that our paths have crossed. That in the immensity of time, in the vastness of space, we coincide here. I am in awe at the ways in which our lives intersect and intertwine, at the beauty we create when we gather. May our coming together make us more compassionate, more just, more caring, and more loving. May our hearts and minds be open to this offering. Let us worship. Let us marvel at the miracle of being here right now and the mystery that brought us together. Amazing. We have you join us in some more singing. This one is not in the hymnal. You don't need a book for this. Up above my head, I hear music in the air. Up above my head, I hear music in the air. I really believe there's a meeting somewhere. This is Sister Rosetta Sparks singing. Up above my head, I am music in the air. Up above my head, I am music in the air. Up above my head, I am music in the air. I really do believe. I really. Above my, head. Above, above my head, I am singing in the air. Up above my head, I am singing in the air. Up above my head, I am singing in the air. I really do believe. I really do believe there's a heaven somewhere. Up above my head, above my head I, hear I hear praying in the air. Up above my head, I hear praying in the air. Up above my head, I hear praying in the air. I really do believe. People say, Amen. Oh, yeah. You may be seated. <coughs> Good morning, everyone. 
welcome the first Unitarian. I'm Anna Watkins, your worship leader, and I am pleased to include you in this service. We're so glad you're here. Whether you're in the sanctuary or the fellowship hall, wherever you are, we're happy. We enjoy having children with us. I see a few here today. I see a budding artist in the back. Uh, we enjoy having children with us. Oh yeah, everybody's got to look now. And we have special spaces for them, an activity table in the back where masterpieces are being created. Uh, the family room across the hall for those who want to jump up and down and get rambunctious. I'm talking about the parents. Okay. And our playground right up here at the front, the best seat in the house. Take a moment to look around and see who else is here this morning. People you know and people who are new to you. So just take a look around. As you can see, we have an attractiveness requirement. <laughs> All of us belong here in this place at this time. In the words of Bell Hooks, a generous heart is always open, always ready to receive our going and coming. In the midst of such love, we need never fear abandonment. This is the most precious gift true love offers, the experience of knowing we always belong. Welcome. Izzy and Celeste, would you like to come up for something very special? Oh my goodness. We have the privilege and the joy of dedicating a little one in our congregation this morning. Come on up. Hello, little one. Look around here. Look at all of these smiling faces. This is your community. <laughs> to raise up a human being is one of life's most sacred tasks and one of its most precious relationships. Corey and Izzy, do you pledge yourselves in love and in steadfastness to your child? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, she heard it. <laughs> life depends on water, the most common element in our world. It gave life to our ancestors. It has nourished all the plants and beings that have ever lived on the earth. Therefore, we call this water holy. And like a flower... This little one is unfolding and blossoming in her being. As she grows, all the love and wisdom and goodness in her will blossom. <laughs> what name has this child received? Celeste. And her full name? Celeste Robin. With this touch of sacred water, I bless you. <laughs> we welcome you into the community of all good souls and dedicate you to a life of love and service for 
and among your fellow human beings. <laughs> Please rise in body or spirit. And we're going to join in sharing the words that are in your order of service. We'll say them together. Are you ready? We, your community, bless you and dedicate ourselves to you. May your thoughts be wise. May your lips speak the truth. May your heart know love. And may the work of your hands be blessed all the days of your life. We pledge ourselves to all our children that they might grow in beauty and wisdom and love. Let's prepare ourselves for some meditation. We'll start with a little exercise to bring ourselves into the moment. So take a hand, doesn't matter which hand, and with your thumb, touch each of your fingers in a row. And as you do so, say, I am here now. Let's do that together a few times. I am here. Establish that we're here. Let's find a comfortable position. Maybe your feet are on the floor, or maybe not. Maybe your hands are resting somewhere. Maybe your spine's a little straighter. Whatever's right for your body today. Take a deep breath. And we'll sit in quiet for a minute or so.
consider the places and the people that are on our hearts this morning. The sound of a chime. Let's speak those names into our sanctuary so that we may carry them together. Sherry Plavnik, who is struggling with a health challenge. All these we lift up to the powers that we consider sacred and divine. Will you join me in prayer? Spirit of life, let your love pour down on this child, Celeste, and this family, Nikki and Corey through us and through all the blessings and abundance of life. Keep this young one safe and growing, loved and loving. Bless this family which receives and nurtures Celeste. Bless this congregation which has pledged itself to be for this child and for all our children, a place of nurture, community, spirit, and truth. give thanks for the things that we receive and the things that we give. May we dwell in the world happily knowing that our interconnected web calls on us to share. We give thanks to our First Unitarian Church care team, past and present and future, who embody the interdependent web with compassion. May we always be a congregation that shows up for each other on the journey. Remember all those who are grieving the loss of loved ones today. May they find comfort in the memories of this person, and may they feel the support of this congregation as they mourn. We pray for the end of violence, violence in our hearts, violence as a means for power and control. May there be peace and justice and healing. this bleak midwinter when the earth stands hard as iron and the water like a stone we remember all those who struggle for stable housing we pray for the unhoused who we can see who camp on sidewalks and push shopping carts and we pray for the unhoused who we don't see the mothers and children begging for one more night on the couch the seniors sleeping in their cars and then going to their jobs. May they all find warmth and stability. May the hearts of politicians and neighborhood associations open and call for investments in housing. May all our hearts open to find ways to be generous to those suffering and to dismantle the root causes of homelessness. In the bleak midwinter, in this world of pain, may we remember that where our hearts are open, love is born again. And may we put love at the center of everything that we do. Peace be with you.
of school children were asked to list what they thought were the current seven wonderful videos. Though there were some disagreements, the following received the most votes. Egypt, the Great Pyramid, Taj Mahal, Grand Canyon, Panama Canal, the Empire State Building, St. Peter's Basilica, and the Great Wall of China. What a list, right? I agree that all of these are great, wonderful videos, both nature's world and my neighborhood. While gathering the votes, the teacher noticed that one student had not finished the list yet. So she asked the girl if she was having trouble with it. The girl replied, yes, a little. I couldn't quite make up my mind because there are so many. The teacher said, well, tell us what you have and maybe we can help. The girl hesitated and then read, I think the seven wonders of the world are to see, to hear, to touch, to taste, to feel, to grasp, and to love. That written in her style, you should hear a thing she this story reminds us that the most precious things in life can't be built or bought. The things we overlook as simple and ordinary and that we take for granted are truly wonders. If you have spent any time with a toddler, you can see this plainly. All of their senses are new, as is all they encounter, and they are in wonder Gonna do a song by Katie Ann called Constant Craving. <coughs> and um, when Katie wrote this song, this is the statement that she made that it relates to samsara, the Buddhist cycle of birth and death. And she said, I wasn't a practicing Buddhist then, so I honestly don't know what the impetus for the song was. I wrote it from the perspective of desire and longing.
hear that song the same way again now that I know about its origin story in spiritual matters. Taken. Religious experience. Well, I have enjoyed the hell out of researching this sermon. <laughs> I really have. <laughs> it's a fun topic. I was inspired by our theological theme this month, which is mystery. And by the fact that among six sources of UU faith, our denomination names, one is the direct experience of transcending mystery and wonder. 
best experience of transcending mystery. I wondered how did the rest experience end up there in our sources? That's really interesting. And what is meant by transcending mystery and wonder? As I thought about it, I realized that having been a UU all my life, or at least since I was six or seven years old, I've long thought that transcending mystery and wonder was a euphemism for God. You know? God, which we call by so many names, mostly not God, right? Things like the love that holds all, the spirit of life, those other names being closer to what you use typically think of the divine, if they think of the divine, right? And as somebody who has a bachelor's and a master's degree in religious studies, when I hear the phrase direct experience, I think of the classic consciousness-altering experiences, the kind that Christian and Jewish and Muslim mystics and many Catholic saints describe, and Buddhists when they describe nirvana, the kind that yoga was uh, created to facilitate in Hinduism, the kind that researchers at Harvard were interested in in the 1960s when they studied psychedelics before those kinds of studies were made illegal and which they are interested in again today now that it is once again legal. In October, Harvard announced that it is launching a new multidisciplinary psychedelic research program. So interesting. But we don't often speak of mysticism in Unitarian Universalism, even though UUs also do, we can and do, have mystical experiences. And I think we spoke of mysticism even less back in the 1980s when our statement of principles and sources was adopted. Transcending mystery and wonder sounds vaguely godlike, but it, it also does sound like something else. It sounds like transcendentalism, a major movement in the 1800s. Maybe it has to do with that. Transcendentalism is a theology associated with figures like Margaret Fuller and Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau, I'm told, and I lived in Concord, or I served in Concord, that it's Thoreau, not Thoreau, like we like to say it. They told me that before I started my internship there. They were like, just so you know. <laughs> Transcendentalism began as a kind of rebellion within Unitarianism. In fact, the Transcendentalist movement was started by young people who were challenging the ideas that the older folks held dear. And those older folks were so incensed by it that they kicked Emerson out as a Unitarian minister. Which is funny, right? Because... It was the 1800s, and that stuff all seems really old right now. All of it seems really old to us. Old and also kind of normal, though, because transcendentalism did wind up having big influence in and beyond our faith. Transcendentalists believed that there was a unity of all creation and that we can experience the divine in nature. It is one of the reasons this sanctuary has a wall of windows that faces a wildlife habitat. Transcendentalists also believe that humans are inherently good. I'm looking at that little one, Cupid's Ladder. They believe humans are inherently good, just plagued by errors of thinking and bad habits and harmful convictions. So maybe transcending mystery and wonder had to do with transcendentalism in nature. 
So I started digging around for the history of these sources. I looked on my bookshelf, but none of my many, many history books about Unitarian Universalism actually had any specific explanation of how they came together the way that they are. I looked at the UUA website, nothing. I checked the Harvard Divinity School UU archives online and I could not find a thing, although I assume it's in there somewhere. It's a massive archive. So I reached out to several older colleagues, ministers who might personally remember the process or who entered ministry soon after the statement of principles and sources was adopted. Nobody could recall and they didn't have any resources to point me toward. It was so weird. So I consulted the entire planet by Googling it. <laughs> Still no. I did not ask chat GPT. If you do, let me know what happens. I did, however, come across a reference in one of the history books to something called the Commission on Theology and the Frontiers of Learning. Theology and the Frontiers of Learning. So I decided to look into that, like I'll just turn over that rock, maybe that commission knew something about it. It was formed by our denomination in 1962, and that commission's task was to name the core beliefs of Unitarian Universalists, which by the way, is a very big, very difficult task, because we're a big diverse group. We were then and we are now. Its, its job was to name the core beliefs contrast those with new knowledge in the various fields of learning at that time, like all the frontiers of learning, and then help the denomination imagine how to creatively adapt its religious philosophy and beliefs for the new era. Can we just take a minute to appreciate that, that an organized religion paused to take stock, to compare its beliefs with science and other frontiers of learning and to think about how to adapt to meet this actual world and what we know now. That is pretty cool. And that is why UU is called a living tradition and it's why your, the gray hymnals under the seats in front of you are called singing the living tradition. It's because this tradition is alive and evolving. 1962 was 61 years ago. And do you know that First Unitarian was already here right on this corner back then? At least two of you were members already or were attending back in 1962. We had just moved on to this corner lot. We only had a couple of buildings. And when you see photos of them, it looks like they are very lonely in the middle of a lot of desert. Like there's no development around them. Comanche disappears into it like a desert horizon. <laughs> There's nothing there that you can see. Just this little church that was part of a denomination that was comparing notes with science and changing its theology fully. The 1962 commission published a report called The Free Church in a Changing World. The commission wrote, our growing knowledge of the profoundly mysterious cosmos is found increasingly valuable in guiding life and thought. They contrast this with the fundamentalist religious beliefs around them, that science will only give humans a false sense of pride. They rejected that notion. And they wrote, the beckoning mystery of the universe has already become for many and may become for more 
the most effective source of awe and grace. A scene on the street of Damascus, the most effective source of awe and grace. You know that feeling of awe and reverence, like if you go up to see India Peak, the text up there, and you look down 360 degrees around. Or if you uh, go out at night and you finally really look up to the stars, and you wonder why you're not doing that more often. Maybe not last night, it was like 17 degrees, but generally. You know, we had not even walked on the moon yet when the commission wrote this about the beckoning mystery of the universe. We hadn't seen the photo called Earthrise, our planet so beautiful and blue, sailing in deep dark space. What is this? What in the Bible? What fruit? It's part of something that inspires, and we are made in such a way as to have religious experiences. Maybe those are the direct experiences of book written over a century ago now that says just that. It's called The Varieties of Religious Experience. It was written in 1902, 1902, by the psychologist William James, and the ideas in it and the analysis in it really hold up. It's really quite interesting. For his book, James defines religion in very personal or individual about denominations, but on the personal level, he defined it as the feelings, acts, and experiences of individual people as they relate to whatever they may consider divine. And those are his words in 1902, whatever they may consider divine. So God, the ultimate, it's the relationship between you and God, or you talked about the religious experiences that are called mystical. Mystical comes from the ancient Greek, Greek root word mystikos, related to sacred mysteries. Mystikos, sacred mysteries. And mystery, mysterion, sh shares a same root with that. So mis mystikos and mysterion are mystery and secret. A mystical experience is one that reveals a sacred truth of some kind that imparts a knowing that goes beyond the intellect or that involves an experience of oneness with the divine. William James describes these religious experiences, mystical experiences, quite broadly, including everything from seemingly small moments to the dramatic consciousness-altering kind. This makes a lot of sense to me. Whenever I hear somebody say that they have not had a personal religious experience before, I think that they probably mean the dramatic consciousness-altering kind. And sometimes I talk to people who have had that dramatic consciousness-altering kind, but they're really not sure how to think or talk about it in words. Often they're so afraid they'll sound crazy that they don't talk about it at all. But religious experiences of all these sorts part of the human experience, as natural as love, friendship, belonging, 
other intangible things in life. Those are the parts of our being that we often describe here as the depth aspects of self. What sets religious experiences apart from those other things is that instead of relating us to each other or to our communities, they relate us to the divine, the ultimate, the universe, ultimate reality, this thing that we're sailing in, and that in some sense sails in us, through us, Mystical experiences are recognizable, whether they're big or small, by four qualities. You can know them by these four qualities that they all tend to have. They are passive, noetic, I'll tell you what that means in a second, transient, and ineffable, another big word. They're passive in the sense that when one happens, it just happens. It doesn't take any effort on the part of the person who's experiencing it when it's happening. It is just something that is unfolding for them. You can't make it happen. You can make yourself available for it by meditating or praying or in some other way, but you can't force a mystical experience to happen. And it might happen when you least expect it, and you haven't seemed to make yourself available for it. It could still happen. Noetic means that they impart some kind of knowledge beyond the intellect of rational thought. When you have some kind of mystical experience, you understand something, you just feel it, you know it from what you're experiencing, you just suddenly get it. And the experience passes, it does not become a permanent state of mind, thank goodness you wouldn't be able to function if you were always in that state of mind. And afterwards, so that's the transient part, passing by. And afterward, this thing that you came to know is very, very hard to put into words, right? Or like a rational description. It is ineffable. It's hard to speak. You try, you try, you might come close, but there's just something in it that language does not adequately convey. Words fall short because it is an experiential kind of knowing. So passive, noetic, transient, and ineffable. Subtle mystical experiences can arrive as a sudden, deeper grasp of something profound. It could be a concept you've heard many times, and but suddenly you receive it in a new, profound way. Or it's something you hear in a piece of music or poetry or a story that becomes, in James's words, the irrational doorways through which the mystery of fact, the wildness, and the pang of life steals into our hearts and thrills them. I love that line. The mystery of fact, the wildness and pang of life, steals through these irrational doorways into our hearts and thrills them. William James even describes deja vu as another variety of mystical experience. He quotes the poet Alfred Tennyson, and actually we all quote Alfred Tennyson. He was a 19th century poet who wrote lines like, "'Tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all." He's one of the most commonly quoted writers in the English language. Of déjà vu, Tennyson wrote this little poetic line. "'Moreover, something is or seems that touches me with mystic gleams, like glimpses of forgotten dreams, of something felt, like something here, of something done, I know not where, 
such as no language more than love. Where does that come from? We've got the passivity, the noetic quality, the ineffability, and the transience. Deja vu leaves us with this vague sense of something metaphysical or an immediate sense of something metaphysical, like there's just something more to this world than our conscious mind can know. We can have mystical experiences of the kind that UUA Commission described in 1962 when you were commissioned to report to be so moving when they spoke of the beckoning mystery of the universe as the most effective source of awe and reverence. Awe and reverence are very religious experiences. When we experience them, as with other religious experiences, we feel something outside of the self, right? We're drawn into and toward something larger. Our paltry personal concerns, as William James puts it, fade away, at least temporarily. It is, he says, an awe mixed with delicious luster. Stars, right? Isn't that what you feel when you finally wake up to a star? An awe mixed with delicious luster. And then there are those more classic, dramatic, mystical experiences in which a person has a profound experience of unity with the all, or God, nirvana, or enlightenment has that quality. Jewish, Christian, Hindu, and Muslim mystics all describe it too. And a similar experience has been reported by many of the people who have terminal illnesses who participate in psychedelic research studies that are currently underway. So interesting. And many of these different traditions and situations in those in them, people use similar language this kind of experience is sometimes called a cosmic consciousness. James quotes a 19th century psychiatrist who describes the spiritual impact of that sense of oneness. He writes, with these come what may be called a sense of immortality, a consciousness of eternal life, not a conviction that a person shall have this eternal life, but the consciousness that they have it already. Not what I thought of when I thought of psychiatry in the 1800s, right? <laughs> There's some beautiful stuff out there. The people in those studies, the, the people with terminal illness, report a profound experience of oneness with the universe that eases their fear of death and brings them a deep and lasting peace. So, that lasting feeling is another quality of mystical experience. Unlike a dream, the experience stays with the person after it passes. After a dream, we wake up and we know it was a dream. We don't keep feeling certain that what we dreamt is true or really happened. Well, unless we have a dream that is one of these kinds of experiences and we wake up with some new understanding. Not long after my dad died suddenly last year in a car accident, he appeared in one of my dreams and gave me a hug that was so real. When I woke up, I knew I had talked to him forever. A few weeks ago, my dad and I met for lunch in a dream. and He told me about his experience since dying. And again, I woke up knowing 
you've shared your own accounts of things like that with me. And you've told me about other kinds of mystical experiences too, though perhaps you didn't use those exact words to describe it. Times when you were struck by awe or sudden peace, when you felt truly held and one with that love that holds all that we sing about here sometimes on Sunday, or a time when you gained some new understanding that you struggled to articulate, even though its impact on you was clearly profound. There are so many stories like this, so many accounts of mystical experiences, subtle and dramatic, large and small, from people in every era, people in every culture, that together they comprise a state of consciousness that is clearly a common yet profound part of being human. What is this? What are we part of? What are we? We sense more about that, I think, than we can put into words. Although that has never stopped a preacher from trying. Maya Angelou reminds us that when we give cheerfully and accept gratefully, everyone is blessed. Our offering ritual gives us a time and place to show gratitude for our church, its inspiration and service to us as individuals, and for nurturing a beloved community. Your time, talent, and financial gifts are all appreciated. To carry out our work, we also engage with organizations whose mission resonates with our own. Our Change for the Future partner this month and through February is Casa Q, a caring organization that provides safe living for LGBTQ youth and their allies through housing, services, and advocacy. You may mark a pew envelope, CFF, or place coins in the basket to benefit Casa Q. We will now gratefully accept the offering. Your eyes really see 
there's no other way now it's really up to What is generously given is received with gratitude. Thank you on behalf of First Unitarian and Casa Q. And we, there's so much going on at the church today and this week. It's that time of year. So we can't possibly announce every single thing. I'm encouraging you to look in your order of service because there's things going on there that we're not going to talk about, but you should not miss. So read your order of service and take it away, Anna. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. This is the last week to help first use first UU's uh, Penfwin family in their toiletries and food drive for APS students who are deeply affected by homelessness. Stop by the social hall to find out what's needed. We have a special guest announcer today. Woohoo! Christmas Eve is coming. People love to sing at Christmas Eve. We have two services this year at 4 and 6 o'clock on Christmas Eve with, uh, that we are sharing with Albuquerque Center for Spiritual Living and Minara. And so I am inviting any and all of you to join the Come As You Are Choir 
for those services. We have two rehearsals a week from Monday, which is the 18th at 6.30 here in the sanctuary, and then the, that same Thursday, the 21st, here in the sanctuary, 6.30, and then we'll sing for those services. And there's caroling in between out in the courtyard. We'll have a fire and hot chocolate, and you can sing all those old favorite songs during the time in between. So you're all invited to come join the band on Christmas Eve. That sounds like so much fun. And really warm, right, Bob? Yeah. <laughs> on Friday, December 22nd at 6.45 p.m., our pagan group, Coyote Willow Cups, invites you to join us in the Memorial Hall for a celebration of Yule and the winter solstice. Join us as we deck the halls and reenact the epic rap battle. Has it been on any of that? The epic rap battle between the Oak King and the Holly King. <laughs> feel free, feel free to bring food for the potluck, decorations, or a short poem or song for winter, or just yourself. Dress festive or come as you are. All are welcome. And maybe you've been wondering how our operating pledge campaign is going. Maybe okay. Well, I want to share a few numbers. Right at the moment, as of Thursday, actually, we have $790,000 in pledges. That's pretty awesome. From 334 households. And that's an average of $2,300 pledge per person, per household, which is really amazing. But also, I want folks to know that there's a wide range in the pledge amounts. And all the amounts are welcome and important to us. So don't be intimidated by that $2,300 amount. But $790,000 is about 75% about of the way towards a fully funded church budget. If we hear from 97 more people, more, 97 more people come to the office and pledge or pledge online, we'll be at the same number of givers as we were last year. And we'll probably be in pretty good shape for next year. So uh, if you haven't pledged yet, we'd love it. If you have pledged, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And today's... Discussion question, if you're for yourself or for among your friends and family, is where do you find awe and reverence? Where do you find awe and reverence? That's something to chew on, huh? And if you haven't yet placed a dove in the tree, you can, there's a basket full of them right there. And you can grab one and write down your aspirations, your prayers, your blessings for the new year and place it in the tree. Anyways, do we have any visitors here today who we'd like to give you a warm welcome if you want to put your hands up. Hi, over there. We're so glad to see you. Thanks. If you, if you haven't yet, there's a, a welcome table out front. You can get more information about the church. There's coffee in the social hall over that way. Hang out, talk to people, get the feel for the place. And for everybody, why don't we all rise and body your spirit? We'll do our peace greeting, one hand on our hearts, the other hand reaching out towards our companions on the journey of life, sending peace. Blessed be. In time of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, 
let it be. I know you know it. And in the hour of darkness, she is standing right in front of me, speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. 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 There will be an answer, let it be. And though they may be parted, there is still a chance that they will see. There will be an answer, let it be. Let it be, let it be. Let it be, let it be. There will be an answer, let it be, 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 whisper words of wisdom, let it be. There is still a light that shines on me. Shine until tomorrow, let it be. I wake up to the sound of music. Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Yeah, sing it. Let it be, let it be. Let it be, there will be an answer, let it be, 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 there will be an answer, let it be.
for Christmas along the Rio Grande. It's Christmas in New Mexico. It's time for Christmas in old Santa Fe. Hang a ristra and trim the tree. Light up a farolito, burn a luminaria, the soul lay by the heart, tamales on the stove. Christmas carols sung with joy, the candles all lit up. Join hearts and hands and raise your voice, Feliz Navidad. It's time for Christmas along the Rio Grande. It's Christmas in New Mexico. It's time for Christmas in old Santa Fe. Hang a ristra and trim the tree. Smell the empanadas baking in the stove. Chocolate and bizcochitos warm it to my toes. Family and friends all gather to sing on a night. Join hearts and hands and raise your voice. The stars are shining bright. It's time for Christmas along the Rio Grande. It's Christmas in New Mexico. It's time for Christmas. In old Santa Fe, hang a ristra and trim the tree. Hang a ristra and trim the tree. Hang a ristra and trim the tree. Who trimmed your tree?